Good morning, friends. It's lovely to be with you again this morning. Thank you to Nathan for reading our passage for us this morning, that is Psalm 102. As we come and open God's Word, should we just bow for a moment and pray? Our Lord and our God, as we open your Word this morning, Lord, would you speak to each of our hearts? Would you still our hearts from whatever has distracted us this week, whatever may be distracting us this morning? And Father, would we know your presence here with us today? Amen. This morning we're thinking about God is changeless. And what I was going to do is pull a couple of things out of Psalm 102 to illustrate this point. But actually what we're going to do is use most of this passage as a backdrop to why it is so important that we as Christians know that God is changeless. And kind of a subheading for this morning, I've written battered and bruised but full of trust. In this psalm we, we meet Jerusalem, Zion. In a state of ruin. If it's taken as literal ruin, the psalm may have been written by those in exile who mourned both their personal and their national affliction. The author could be Daniel, Jeremiah, or Nehemiah. However, it may be the ruin of Zion, God's people, described as, as something more poetic in nature eh, and is pre the exile. I love reading psalms like this because it reminds us so much of the relatability of scripture. Do you know, at times we, we can read scripture, we can read of people of amazing faith doing amazing things with the Lord working in and through them. And sometimes we can feel a little disconnected from that because they think, wow, my, my experience in my walk with the Lord is so far away from that. But thankfully, scripture is also full and here we have a glimpse of somebody who is utterly, helplessly crying out to God. It gives us a window into how we should grieve, how we should deal with trials, and how we should come before God. There's no hold barred in this passage. And at the end of this psalm, we are presented with the truth that God is changeless, that we'll focus on towards the end. So let's explore verses 3 to 11 and the utter desperation that we find in this passage. We find a bleak situation in front of the psalmist. And I guess this is a precursor to that. If anything of this presses home to you this morning, if anything from this hurts or is raw or is difficult for you to deal with, I urge you to seek wise counsel. To find somebody who is uh, also walking in the ways of the Lord that you can spend time with. Maybe not explaining all your situations, but finding people to pray with. Surrounding yourself with good and godly people to pour out your heart to the Lord. We find here somebody in the midst of anguish and strife and struggle. And then we read of the glorious hope in verses 16, 25 to 27 that we'll come and look at. So I want to explore firstly a little bit of this desperate situation that we find ourselves in here, this passage. Firstly in verse 3, we read of the brevity of the shortness of life. For my days vanish like smoke. Life to somebody without God. 
to somebody who is unhappy or desperate or lost. Life seems not just to be frail, but full of bleakness. A bleakness that is darkening, that is binding, that is defiling, that is depressing. So much despair that it feels like you are wandering aimlessly in a dense fog. And then being dried up like a pillar of smoke. What is the point to life? What is the reason? What is the purpose? It'll all be over one day anyway. What's the point? The psalmist, as he looked around him and saw Zion, saw nothing of hope in front of him. And also in a different way, there is grief in the reality of the shortness of life in a loved one. For us, this is most evident when we lose somebody that we love dearly. As the days of a loved one draw close, as they vanish like smoke, as the shortness of life becomes evident to us, it causes us great grief. And that can lead to helplessness, to hopelessness and to isolation in lonely days if we are not careful. My bones burn like glowing embers. Physical pain causes great grief. Still in verse 3. It is easy when a body is in constant physical pain to be consumed by that pain. And I was reading a story of a lady called Mary Yerkes who had rheumatoid arthritis. A condition that slowly digests bone and cartilage in the joints that results in pain, inflammation and debilitating fatigue. And over time it can result in deformity, loss of mobility and disability. And I don't know about you, but when I hear the story of somebody who is in chronic pain but has a real peace in the Lord Jesus, I cannot help but be inspired. And she says this, Yes, my life is more difficult than I could ever have imagined, but it is also far richer than I could have ever dreamed. Early in this journey, when I learnt eh, to live with a chronic illness, I took comfort in Isaiah 61 verse 3, which reads, To grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them beautiful headdress instead of ashes, to oil, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garments of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. That he may be glorified. We meet the psalmist in some form of physical anguish. In verses 4 and 5 we read of a dejected spirit. Of a downcast Spirit. It reads, My heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. In my distress, I groan aloud and am reduced to skin and bones. Like a plant is parched by the tropical sun and it withers away like grass. It, it dries up and it shrivels and it withers away. The psalmist's heart was like that, like a wilted withering flower that was burning up his energy the beauty the freshness and the joy were utterly gone all because of the anguish the anxiety that he knew he couldn't see the beauty of the Lord because the anguish and the distress had consumed his heart 
I forgot to eat my food. Grief can often destroy appetite. Further injuring the body by not giving it what it needs. But also in the midst of grief, we can also forget to eat the bread of life. We forget to savor on the beauty of the Savior. We sit there hurting and grieving, souls starving, desperate for a release from the pain that we know through whatever circumstance we face, but all the while neglecting the Lord's Jesus. And in verse 5, he became so consumed with sorrow. He had grown within himself, himself down to a skeleton. So much so it would be visible in his bodily appearance. In verses 6 and 7 we read of loneliness. I am like a desert owl. Like an owl among ruins. I lie awake. I have become like a bird alone on a roof. An owl loves solitude. It mopes around among the ruins and it just hoots away its day. The psalmist likens himself to the bird. Not like an eagle that is soaring on wings. A bird of great beauty and splendor. But the griefs of his people, the griefs of what he knew in Zion, the brightness had gone. He seemed to be like a groaning bird. He felt so weak and inconsiderable he could only watch as if a helpless bird. We read of enemies in verse 8. This unrelenting, unceasing, taunting and insults that came from others. A mocking, look at your nation, look at your people, look at Zion. They cursed his name. And through those persecutions, the sorrow inward and outward were becoming more and more consuming. In verse 9, we read of humiliation. For I eat ashes of my food and mingle my drinks with tears. Marking the forehead with ashes. A symbol of mourning or repentance regularly seen in the Old Testament. And what this is saying is that he so frequently put ashes on his head, so frequently mourned for what he saw in the land of Zion, that it had mixed in with his ordinary food, grated between his teeth when he ate. While he forgot to eat, and now changed his eating, there is such hunger that even the ashes were devoured. In verse 10, because of your great wrath, for you have taken me up and thrown me aside. The hiding of God's face, not knowing where God is. This sense of divine wrath against God's people. Overthrowing the chosen nation because of their lack of repentance and the rebellion against God. And finally, verse 11, my days are like the evening shadow. I wither away like grass. His days were at best a shadow. But now even that shadow is passing away and he is withering like grass. A grass that is being blasted by the tropical sun or being cut down with a knife that is then left to dry and burn. 
There are times that, that in depression people can feel so utterly consumed that the very existence, merely breathing, is difficult. That heartbreak is so consumed the body that our flesh is as best grass. And when we see this, this sorrow, this anguish that the psalmist faces, it can become something that shrivels up and dies. This is an utterly bleak start to a sermon. And I won't apologise for that because I think it's important we start here. This is an utterly bleak outlook for the psalmist. As he looked horizontally out to the world over his nation. As he saw the little hope and the anguish that was in front of him. We have his brutally honest assessment of where we find the psalmist. But there is a change. Something is happening. What we find here is utter hopelessness, utter ruin, utter depression. What sort of life is this? What sort of a life is one that is full of pain, that is full of suffering, that is full of anguish? Surely that is not worth living. The words of Job's wife as she spoke to her husband, observing the suffering and the ruin he was going through, said, then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Do you know, for Job in death, it would have been over. Tell God where to go, be done with him. Surely if the God of love is making your life a misery, the reality is you should be short of him and be done. And in the midst of the anguish and the grief and the struggle that we find in all of this, we find the glorious light of verse 12. But you, Lord... Words that utterly cut through the dejection of the last 11 verses. But you, Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures all generations. But you. What is it that can cut through the anguish? What is it that can cut through the grief? What is it that can cut through the hopelessness? Nothing of the horizontal world. Nothing of the world out in front of us, but as the eyes are lifted vertically towards God, He sits enthroned forever. Your name endures the generations. This is where we start to see this vertical outlook in the eyes of the psalmist no matter how bad life gets no matter how bleak things look God you are enthroned today as you were before the foundations of the earth as you will be until the ends of the earth and your name will continue to be glorified through all the generations to come eyes lifted vertically towards God fixed on the Lord Christian, if you find yourself this morning resonating with something of uh, these uh, eight verses from verses 3 to 11 here this morning, lift your eyes. Lift your eyes to the changeless one. The grief of the psalmist and the reality of Zion and what they faced was great. But we are met with the promise of verse 16 of the rebuilding of Zion. 
just want to touch on this before we we jump to, to verse 25 it says in verse 16 for the lord will rebuild zion and appear in his glory it is the lord who will rebuild his people it is the Lord who builds up his people. For us, the new covenant people, for the people that have seen the fulfillment of the Lord Jesus, it is the Lord who builds his church. God is the architect. He is the builder. He is the inhabitant. He is the Lord of Zion, of his people. We read of the wonderful prophecy the Christmas prophecy of Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud. O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt. The foal of a donkey. The king of Zion is here. What does the building of the church of God's people for us today look like? It looks like conversion. It looks like people seeing the Lord Jesus in all of his glory. It looks like numerous confessions of faith. Hearts that are cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus. Baptism. The public declaration of faith of the author of salvation. It looks like union amongst God's people united in one spirit. And it looks like the edification, the building up of God's people. And his mission extended out the way this is a healthy church this is God's people the fulfillment of Zion the new Israel fulfilled by the Lord Jesus out of the ashes of ruin God's promises will prevail no exile and no enemy will take that away because Zion is God's the church is Christ's and he will build it the changeless God. Verses 25 to 27. We'll, we'll round off here with three promises of the changeless God. Verses 25 to 27 read, In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing you will change them, and they will be discarded, but you remain the same. And your years will never end. So we come to this morning's attribute. The changelessness of God. God is changeless. The first promise. Time has changed. Times have changed. But God has not. You laid the foundations of the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. The God who laid the foundations of this earth is the same God who has watched over his people throughout the entirety of redemptive history. He is the same today as before laying the foundations of the earth. We were reminded so beautifully on Wednesday night by Bruce of our creative God, of God as creator. The God who crafted so intricately this world into being. The God who cared so deeply for his creation. The God who reserved his deepest relationship for his finest creation, mankind. 
The God who loved this world so much that he sent his son to die on a tree so that we might enter into the presence of the holy God. This is the changeless God who cares as deeply today for his creation as he did before the foundations of the earth. So we go back and we look at verses 3 to 11 and we look at the desolation. We look at the depression, we look at the anguish, we look at the, the utter hopelessness. And instead of starting there, we begin to have this perspective, this heavenly perspective, firstly. This perspective that the world is in the hands of the changeless one. You see, when we start with God and we view everything in this world through the eyes of God, everything begins to make sense. We begin to see our suffering and our hardships as the furnace eh, of faith, of, of our faith, of our constant refinement. If we start with the world, if we start with this and, and, and how sorry I am and how things look before me, it is so hard for us to see through that, to look to God. That is why we must start with God. God's promise to his people, Genesis 15, 5 to Abraham. And he brought him outside and said, look towards heaven and number the stars if you were able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And it's interpreted for us in Galatians 3, 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings referring to many but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ the beautiful old covenant God's promises to Abraham Abraham in Genesis the word that stood the promise that stood that stands to the people of Israel fulfilled in the new covenant in the Lord Jesus and what we see throughout this time is that no matter how far God's people stray, no matter how quickly they forget his goodness, no matter how many times he has to correct them, no matter how many times he warns them, he rebukes them and he punishes them, God stood firm on the promises he had made. A promise for us fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. A promise that means the same for us today. Changeless. Changeless in nature. Changeless in his promises. Changeless in all he does. As he stood by the nation of Israel, despite the rebellion, still God stands with his people today. No matter what we face. The changeless one. Times have changed, but God has not. Point two, times are changing, but God is not. They will perish. They will wear out like garments. Friends, you and I will be gone from this earth in a relatively short amount of time. As we read in 1 Peter, all flesh is like grass and, it's, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. Our days are short. But throughout history, the changeless one remains changeless. 
we cannot help but look at our present situation and not think of the pandemic that uh, controls or uh, overarches everything in our lives. Much has changed in recent months, more than any of us could probably have ever fathomed. Many of our freedoms have been restricted. We haven't met in months, which is thankfully about to change. But for many, it has been a season of lament and strife. For many, it has been a season of of reflection and a positive time. But it has been one of struggle. It has been one of missing weddings and anniversaries, of birthdays, events, months of children growing up, of spending precious time with those near the end of their life. Not being able to grieve in the way that we would like to. Many, many things have changed over these last number of months. But we don't start there. We don't start with our circumstances. We don't start feeling sorry for ourselves. We don't start by looking at what is in front of us. Why? Because we look vertically as God's people. Because we lift our eyes heavenward. We lift our eyes heavenward to the God that saved us. Do you know, this week, the words of the phenomenal hymn, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms, has brought me so much peace this week. And I want to read uh, one of the verses, the chorus and one of the verses for you. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. I have peace complete with my Lord so near. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Would we do just that? Wherever we find ourselves this morning, would we lean in the everlasting arms of the God our Father? He is big enough to carry every bit of our grief, of our fear, of our sorrow, of our struggle, our anxiety and our anguish, every bit of our sin and shame. Would we take everything, all of it, to God? This is the changeless God, the changeless creator, the redeeming God, the changeless father, the changeless son, the changeless spirit. Would we walk close to our saviour because there is no greater place that we can be? Times have changed, but God has not. Times are changing, but God is not. And thirdly, times will change, but God will not. You remain the same and your years will never end. And of course, Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. We have no clue what the future holds. We don't know what next week looks like, what next month looks like. We have no, lo- no idea how long we will be here. But Christian, know that your God does not change and God knows all things. Nothing will surprise him. Nothing will catch him out. His great sovereignty and his great love is what is worth us putting our trust in because he holds the future in the palm of his hand. His unchanging, never-ending, never-failing love. Would we know that this morning? just want to finish with verse 28. A great promise. The children of your servants will live in your presence. 
Their descendants will be established before you. The psalmist earlier in this psalm had looked forward to a future generation. And here he speaks with confidence that such a people would arise. That would be preserved and blessed by God. Do you know I have a lot of time. I am privileged to spend a lot of time with our teenagers. And their hunger for the word continues to excite me. And when we continue to pray for the next generations of believers. When we continue to pray for mature believers to lead the church. Would we be bold and pray that there would be great revivals in the generations to follow? Would we see a generation that are so transfixed upon the beauty of the Saviour that our communities would never be the same again? These words of Spurgeon resonated with me this week. Let us pray that the church would not continue to be brought low by the lukewarmness of the present generations. Let us pray that the Lord would raise up a generation of godly men and women whose zeal and obedience shall win and hold a long prosperity. May we see an end to dwindling church numbers. May we see an end to scores of folks walking away from the church. May our own young people and our own children be among the greatest generations of believers that this nation has ever known. Would they continue to walk in the ways of the Lord, obedient to the very, very end? Again, Spodgen said, here is Zion's hope. Her sons will build her up. Her offspring will restore her former glories. We may therefore, not only for our own sakes, but also out of love for the church of God, daily pray that our sons and daughters may be saved. And kept by divine grace, even until the end, established before the Lord. We don't know what the future holds. Times will change. Times will change uh, when our future generation are adults. It will look very different to how it does now. But God will not change. Would we be committed as a church family? To nurturing and growing the next generation of believers. To be greater and more mature than we. Friends, would we never trust more in the things that change than the changeless one? Would we look up before we look ahead? Would we see God in all his goodness and his glory? Before we see the, the darkness and the despair that consumes so much of this world. Would the word of the Lord be on our lips? Would it be like a stone around our neck? Would we look to the beauty of the one who saves us before we ever look to anything temporal? But you, Lord, sit enthroned forever your renown endures through all generations what beautiful words what a beautiful promise would that be the bedrock of our souls knowing that our God is glorified and that he is enthroned forever oh how sweet to walk in this pilgrim way Leaning on the everlasting arms. 
Oh, how bright the path grows from day to day, leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. This morning, Christian, rest secured in the changeless, safe, secure, and everlasting arms of the Father. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, our world knows so much hardship, so much darkness, so much hopelessness. But we as a people, as your people, are filled with the great hope through the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And today we proclaim that Jesus is Lord that Jesus reigns, that he is the king above all things, and that today we lean on the everlasting arms of God. Lord, would our eyes be so fixed on you that no matter what is in front of us, no matter the circumstances and situations we face, we can proclaim that you are still enthroned that you reign, that you are above all, that you are with us. We thank you for your promises to us as your people. We thank you that throughout history you have never abandoned your people, no matter their rebellion against you. And that today, Lord, we come before the foot of the cross asking for your forgiveness for all that we do wrong, for how far we stray from your ways. Lord, forgive us. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we grieve you. Would you help us to walk the right path? Would you help us to follow you in all things? And would we have our eyes firmly fixed on you, the changeless, eternal one? We pray all of these things in the Lord Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.